What's up, guys? Welcome back to SEWCT. I'm Chef T, your host, and we have a couple of things we are going to touch on today. Some crazy news out there uh, in the crypto space. We'll we'll get into that towards the end. And I also wanted to touch on um, a few topics on. 2021 the year to eat like a millennial so that's one topic that was found on aarp there's another topic about plant-based milks reviewed and information that is found on consumerlab.com now consumerlab.com you have to be an actual member to actually view a lot of these uh you know reviews and information that they have factual stuff that they have it's actually a great site so if i forget they may offer different packaging um, instead of like if you want to be a member for a year, you can do like monthly or whatever it is. But it's a great website, especially you and I being consumers. You want to make sure the product that you're actually buying is holding up to what they're saying it is. So they do a lot of testing with products. They give their reviews. Um, if they ever come across anything like something that's unsustainable, you know, they, they talk about it. So they really dive deep into their uh, their product reviews, which I think is extremely important. So let's get into the news. We're going to touch on the first topic found on AARP. Okay, so the news found on AARP, I'm going to have, again, guys, all the links are going to be in the podcast this description for you guys to click on. So feel free to click on those links. So this title is called Change Up Your 2021 Diet with these millennial foods. And let's get into it. So if you are ready to experiment with new healthy foods and recipes in this coming year, it may be time to eat like a millennial. So this is sort of like their your theme. Uh, take a few cues from the way the younger generation eats, cooks, and grocery shops, and you may be inspired to change what's on your plate without compromising your diet or derailing your weight loss plans. Don't be afraid to tap into an internet full of creative recipes to figure out new ways to cook and diversify your ingredients. So what do millennials eat? Millennials want to, well, want what they call clean food. What they really mean is that they want real food, said Anna Van Baber, professor of nutrition at Texas Christian University in Fort Fort Worth. Uh, They are interested in how the preparation of the food, packaging, and the storing of food impacts the environment. To eat clean means choosing whole foods, such as fruits and vegetables, instead of processed snacks and ready-made meals, with a list of ingredients that are impossible to pronounce. The youngest generations, late 20s and early 30s, tend to choose beverages such as sparkling water, green tea, kombucha, over sugary drinks like soda, and instead of buying groceries at big box or multi-purpose stores such as Walmart or Costco, they look for specialized grocers such as Trader Joe's and Whole Foods, which sell options that are more technical source and contain less processed ingredients, according to a study of 12.5 million millennial social media posts by CBD market marketing. As you begin your nutritional and weight loss journey in 2021, consider experimenting with new ingredients and cooking methods that will prevent you from getting bored with the food intake. To get you started, we ask, they ask, 
nutrition experts about nine foods from a definitive list of 60 millennial foods by BuzzFeed, a website that reaches nearly 83% of millennials, according to Nelson Holdings. So number one is avocado toast, which is extremely simple to make, guys. Perhaps the most obvious millennials food, uh, and you could do like avocado and tomato, tomatoes. That's also a popular one too, if you're a tomato fan. Um, perhaps the most obvious millennial food because it appears on restaurants menu. And in, it is a staple of weekend brunch. Oh, another one. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm stopping in, in the middle of this, but it's just coming to me. But if you did like an avocado toast and you're okay with eggs, there's a couple of things. What I've done for clients, I've done a spread of hummus, throw some avocado on top, some chia seeds, and I've, I've done that. Um, also add like some pickle. Uh, it could be pickled onions on top to bring in that sort of like a sour-like kind of taste that you, uh, many people like and go for. Um, I've also done avocado and tomatoes. I've, I've done even uh, the avocado toast with an egg on top. So like an over easy egg. So you get all those juices pouring onto the bread, soaking it up, which is absolutely amazing and delicious. I once in my um, culinary uh, industry experience. Uh, I, in the very beginning of getting into this whole uh, chefing it up, I, I did. I was not a fan of an over easy egg, but my wife convinced me over time that it's absolutely delicious and it, it makes up. It, it makes a great sauce to your dish. So she was right. So I should have tried early on. But anyway, I do it now. I love it. So perhaps most obvious millennials food, because it appears on the restaurant menus, is a staple of the weekend brunch and can make up the nutritional nutritious breakfast, lunch, and dinner, or even a snack. Avocados are a good source of monosaturated fatty acids, which are heart healthy and serve as a good fat replacement for butter. The fruit, yes, avocados are fruit, and I've said this on plenty of my blogs on simplest.com, also contains 10 to 11 grams of fiber per avocado. Preparing a third of an avocado with one slice of 100% whole grain bread can provide Hold on one second, guys. Uh, here we go. Sorry, I just want to keep an eye on my um, podcast uh, recording here. So um, can provide between 15 to 20 percent of daily fiber needs for adults over 50 years years of age. However, be watchful. One medium avocado packs between 250 and 300 calories, so it may be too many calories for a meal or snack, especially when combined with other foods items. Uh, it, you know, calories increases, you know, you get the point. Older adults often need fewer calories, higher amounts of specific vitamins and minerals and protein, she added. And she is, uh, where is her name? I said it before, it was, I am totally like looking past her name. Um, where did her name go? Jeez, not Elizabeth Spencer. No, Elizabeth Spencer was talking about something else combined. Anyway. Link is in the podcast description. For some reason, I can't even see it right now. Winifred, uh, no. I think it is Elizabeth Spencer that is talking about that. Anyhow, next one, guys, is cauliflower. Cauliflower is a vegetable common in many house, household crisp, um, crispers that has taken on a new popularity as a carb replacement in the form of uh, cauliflower crust, which I love. 
cauliflower uh, and rice cauliflower i'm not a huge fan honestly of cauliflower cauliflower rice it's not rice i know it's just grinding up cauliflower shred it down to a rice like texture or look whatever you want to call it but it's not rice um if you cook it too long in your pan as a little light saute it gets really soggy and i don't like that um not a huge fan of it to be honest i guess i i understand when it comes to like paleo uh how that can or even well uh, maybe even on the keto diet but i definitely in the uh for paleo enthusiasts they're like a huge fan of it i know it's a definitely a creative way of looking at um how can i substitute maybe grains you know per se and yes that's a great substitution but just not a huge fan i'm a huge fan of just honestly just balance i'm a huge fan of getting consuming enough fiber in your diet and a great way of doing that is obviously if you if you lean towards a little bit of the plant-based um dietary uh, structure and if you're still considering if you're still eating meat lean towards that plant-based dietary structure and incorporate a little bit a little bit of your meat and that would that, to me that seems like a balanced way of eating um maybe as you get older you have to make changes because we are constantly evolving that's just the human body that's just the world that's just how cells work and we hear with the covid-19 coronavirus it's starting to evolve it happens so just if you're mindful with the evolution of our body and how that works and how it's constantly changing i think it's important to just understand that whatever you're eating now may change in the next 10 years you're at a different age you're under different stresses and just to keep that in mind let's move on let's let's see what they're talking about here so for those looking for a savory alternative there are also uh versions of cauliflower wings and cauliflower cauliflower by the way cauliflower wings are actually delicious i i've actually had that and that i like that i like uh and cauliflower uh steak the that's also uh, have i tried cauliflower steak mm, no 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 but you know what i tried cauliflower like um Buffalo cauliflower is absolutely delicious. But what's really making that is the sauce to be honest with you. And yes, you don't want the cauliflower to be extremely soft. You want a little bite to it, but with that sauce is amazing. These are lower in calories and carbohydrates and and then their starchy meaty counterparts and obviously work for vegans and vegetarians. So they get into replacing rice with cauliflower. Yeah, uh, the cauliflower. I, I am a fan of the cauliflower pizza. I like that. Um, so cauliflower pizza and snacks foods don't pass as healthy when combined with piles of cheese and pepperoni. Obviously, this is what they're saying, which can increase calories and bring up levels of sodium. So be mindful, guys. Number three is kale has been a darling of leafy green lovers for for years. I love kale. I think kale is is blown out of proportion and is highly hyped. I I'm a huge fan of Swiss chard, um, collards. I love collards, collard greens. You know they're great. Swiss chard Swiss chard is absolutely amazing. It's another leafy green. So if you're looking for another alternative to kale, check out Swiss chard. Check out collards. They're they're amazing, amazing um, leafy leafy greens. But I think Swiss chard doesn't get the recognition like kale. I it's like Swiss chard is the underdog. I would go with Swiss chard to be honest with you. Before collards, I mean collards is collards is collards is great. Don't get me wrong, but try Swiss chard. It's probably going to be something new to your palate, and I'm all about trying something new. So 
try Swiss chard. That's my opinion. So kale, it is versatile. Yes, uh, you, you, and it can be used in salads and soups. So can Swiss chard. Um, also cooked as a side dish on on its own. Most recently, millennials have transferred the ingredients of kale chips, burrito wraps, transferred ingredients into kale chips, burrito wraps, and juice, another great place to uh, cut your carbs. Juice, juicing. Juicing? I guess that's what they're referring to. Um, I don't mind juicing. Uh, I think juicing also gets blown out of proportion and the word uh, healthy gets slapped on it. And what happens in the way it's marketed, people just assume I can drink all the, the veggie drinks. I can. You gotta remember, fiber, fiber is extracted from it, then it becomes extremely potent, spikes up insulin level. Then on top of that, you know, calories get consumed in a, in a it's more dense. You have so much uh, juice, so sugars are going to be high, and you don't have the fiber to slow this down in your system. So if you're already having an issue with sugar, I don't think that's going to be the ideal route. You may want to just eat your greens and just cook, cook them well enough so you're not dealing with any digestive issues. Anyhow, that's just my thoughts behind that. Let's move on to the next one. Four, kombucha. I'm, huge, I'm a huge fan of kombucha. Love it. I've made kombucha in-house. Um, yeah, great stuff. Kombucha is a fermented, unpasteurized tea that offers healthy probiotics, which can battle inflammation and improve gut health and digestion. So, uh, yeah, so kombucha can be a high, high, can be high in added sugar, uh, with some brands containing up to four to seven teaspoons of sugar per bottle, which is crazy. For references, the recommended intake of sugar for an entire day is six teaspoons or less. And this is what's said by Spencer here. So the link is gonna be, I'm, I'm just kind of gonna skim through this. Matcha is another one, matcha has been around for a while. So I guess they think matcha is gonna have a little more of a um, main, mainstream media headlight, I guess. Meaning powder, powder tea is what matcha is. It's made from steamed green tea leaves that are ground into powder that can make elegant drinks, baked goods, and creamy desserts. So if you head over to my Instagram, Official Chef Tea, there's a, I teamed up with a company a while back um, and I made matcha waffles. I don't think it was chocolate chip waffles, but you can do that as well. But matcha waffles, super delicious, really simple to do. The recipe is right on my Instagram. So if you scroll through, you'll see it. Uh, another one is oat milk. Oat milk is, is becoming a thing. Uh, Teresa and I, we are a huge fan of oat milk. Oat milk is made of made from whole grain uh, oats, blended with water. Really simple. You can do this at home actually and save yourself money from going out and actually purchasing the whole milk. But I get it, it's convenience that you're paying for when you go to the market for certain things like whole milk and other nut milks that are out there. It has more fiber than any milk product and is dairy-free. So it works up your alley if you're looking for dairy-free products, you're vegan, um, or you're vegetarian and you're trying to avoid cheese, you know, whatever. Uh, unlike cow's milk, oat milk is more sustainable from for the earth. Another characteristics millennials seek in their food choices. So that's good to know, right? It's all about sustainability. We're trying to be more of a eco-friendly. Uh, well, we're trying to live more of an eco-friendly, sustainable lifestyle. Next one is overnight oats. <laughs> so. Um, I'm a little, mm, not a huge fan of overnight. Oh, I've made it for clients and even making it, making it for clients. I'm still like, 
Well, it, it all depends on how you make it. So juice press in a city, and I've made it I've made it this way before. If I can remember some of the ingredients, it's not that I, I don't have their recipe, but I look at the ingredients and I had, I, just from being in the chef world for some time, you just kind of figure, you just kind of know like, you know, what ingredients are or ratio of the ingredients are in a particular recipe to kind of get the same consistency that you're trying to get from someone else's recipe. So in this case, it was the overnight oat uh, recipe, which is uh, you're basically soaking oats. Uh, the I think they use a little bit of cashew cream, which is basically taking cashews, you're adding maybe a little bit of a sweetener, usually maple, because we're leaning towards vegan in a food processor. And maybe you you're adding a little bit of water for the consistency to kind of like thin out as well. And your ratio to maple to water is gonna play a part in how, how much liquid water you're using. Uh, which would dilute the taste. So that's when you, that's when the quantity of maple would uh, obviously increase a little bit. Um, I've done it with water. I've also done, referring to the castor cream, I've done it with water. I've also done it with like a nut milk. Um, it gets super creamy if you're using like coconut milk. But remember, this is all nut based, right? Uh, and coconut based, if you're using coconut, coconut and nut based in that case, the fat content is gonna be high. So you want to be mindful of the quantity that you're actually using. Anyhow, I've used, I've so, you know, it's it's soaking the oats in some sort of water with some sea salt, bring out some flavor, then you add in your cashew cream and you kind of let it sit overnight. I'm missing some of the ingredients. Can't remember off the top of my head. Um, you, you could definitely throw in spices, cinnamon, nutmeg, whatever you want. Uh, vanilla extract to add some extra flavor. Uh, and you kind of let it sit overnight. I'm trying to think, I think chia seeds sometimes are part of part of this, which, uh, which kind of that gelatinous taste from chia seeds, I'm not a fan of either. It's just, I don't know, it's just a texture thing. Um, but yeah, anyway, so overnight oats seems like it's gonna be like a thing. Uh, overnight oats have millennials appeal for sometimes stylish look, often appearing on foodie Instagram accounts in a mason jar, complemented with layers of colorful fruits. Still, this one dish, no cooked breakfast, provides lots of soluble fiber, which helps lower cholesterol, control blood sugar, and provide vitamins like calcium, magnesium. So as I just read here, you know, because of the fiber, it helps with cholesterol, but most importantly, you know, also important, I should say, controls blood sugar, which goes back to the whole juicing. You know, you attract the fiber, you're not controlling your blood sugar. You know, it's just going in just like any other juice. Anyway, we're not gonna get into that topic. Uh, another one is poke bowls. Like sushi contain raw marinated fish, typically tuna, which I would, <laughs> be careful with because of mercury, uh, which with an, an assortment of fresh vegetables and rice. So the traditional Hawaiian dish is low calorie, low fat meal option that provides lots of fiber, antioxidant, vitamins, minerals, and other phytochemicals. Really cool. Quinoa, <laughs> I think quinoa honestly is just overplayed. <laughs> <laughs> just being honest with you, man. Just the other day, I was making quinoa for a, for a client, and I was like, man, I can't stand this. <laughs> I'm serious. I like quinoa, but I, you know, I just, I think it's just overrated, to be honest. Anyway, quinoa is, a, it, it, yes, it's an ancient grain. It's high, it's high in fibers. You get lots of protein. You combine that with beans, legumes. You get like a complete protein. Yes, I get it. I totally understand. Anyway, um, quinoa is a whole grain 
superfood that supplies <clears throat> your body with tons of nutrients such as magnesium, excuse me, uh, magnesium, uh, B vitamins and fiber. It is gluten-free, notably high in protein, like I just said, compared to other grains. And yeah, there are, you know, look, there's other grains you can look into. Amaranth, I like amaranth. It's a little grainy sometimes, uh, but I don't mind that grainy taste and that nutty sort of like uh, taste that you get from it. You can make an amazing cereal. What I like quinoa for though, since I got tired of, you know, you just cook quinoa kind of like how you cook rice, but it cooks faster. Uh, it's very similar like millet in that case. I like millet, by the way. Uh, millet is also another grain that you may want to tap into if you're getting tired of quinoa. Amaranth for like a morning porridge, amazing. But try quinoa as a morning porridge. I freaking love it. Love it. I love the nuttiness, that you nutty taste that you get from it. That, excuse me, I'm a fan of. So if you're tired of oatmeal and you're tired of making quinoa the traditional way that most people make it, like a quinoa salad bowl or just a side dish of just quinoa, you know, try try making it as a breakfast porridge. You'll love it. Love it. I just said love it like three times. <laughs> All right, guys, let's move on. So the next article uh, is on Consumer Labs. So now you, you have to be a subscriber to consumer, consumer, consumer Lab. Com. So I'm going to just kind of skim through this a little bit. I'm not going to touch on all of it for copyright reason, but uh, this particular topic is plant-based milks, almond, cashew, coconut, flax milk, macadamia, oat, pea, and soy. So they get into it, guys. So basically the summary, why use plant-based milk? Plant-based milk can be a more help, helpful alternative to regular milk. They contain less saturated fat except for coconut milk. And if they contain no if they contain no added sugar for fewer calories, obviously. Some also provide as much as protein as milk, and most provide as much as more calcium, vitamin D, and vitamin B12. Being non-dairy, they are also a good milk substitute for people with milk allergies, lactose intolerant, or who are vegan. So plant-based milks are also more environmentally friendly than cow's milk, as we kind of touched on that in the last article. So you kind of get adjust, uh, they get into what they are. Um, they also talk about why to consider them. So although it is hard to match the delicious taste of whole or low fat milk, that taste comes at a price. Sugar uh, from lactose and saturated fats, both of which contribute calories. Even lactose-free milk contains a significant amount of sugar as the lactose has been converted to glucose and galactose, which, by the way, have a greater impact on the blood sugar than lactose. What plant-based milk offer is an alternative with little to no saturated fat, which is, you know, great. And if you choose, you know, no sugar, while providing good fats, plenty of calcium, in many cases, significant amounts of protein and other vitamins and minerals. So dietary restrictions, you know, it really fits in that category. Environmental impact, it fits in that category. They get into that. They also found that uh, plant-based milk, uh, as we approach dietary supplements, testing whether they provide the nutrients they claim and are relatively free of contamination from heavy metals, lead, arsenic, you know, that kind of stuff. For most part, the answer was yes. At the same time, the milk variety widely in their level of key nutrients, making these important uh, distinguishing features along with taste. So the one product that failed 
their tests. So they do a lot of testing, guys. Was Tempt help, Hemp Milk, Tempt, T-E-M-P-T, you've probably seen it in stores, unsweetened vanilla. Instead of providing its claim, 300 milligrams of calcium per cup, it contained only 185 milligrams. We also, dis not me, but they also discovered that it contained more than twice the amount of vitamin 12 per cup as listed on the label, 3.6 MCG instead of 1.5 MCG per cup, which further suggests poor quality control, but is not a health concern. These findings were confirmed in the second independent laboratory. Pretty interesting stuff. Uh, they get into calcium, uh, vitamin D, vitamin 12. They actually list out calcium per cup um, and uh, actually, what is this? Uh, the brands, different brands actually. So calcium per cup, they list the companies in the calcium per cup. So like Blue Diamond Almonds, Almond Breeze uh, per cup, about 100, 400, 450 milligrams. Um, and you had like Silky Cream Cashew, 450 milligrams. Temp help, Hemp Milk was lower, it was 185 milligrams. Uh, trying to ripple. Ripple is also a pretty known one that's been blowing up. It's 440 milligrams. They found that. Uh, silk organic soy, 300 milligrams. Anyway, the list goes on. They also touch on vitamin D, vitamin, they have a lot of stuff, vitamin D, vitamin B12. Most plant-based milks provide as much or more vitamin D as regular milk. As shown in the graph um, above that I just kind of touched on, uh, below, I'm sorry, uh, that I did not touch on, two different graphs. Below, other than real cocoa and calafia farms almond milk, which provide no vitamin D, the plant-based milks tended to provide a bit more vitamin D than real milk per cup, with most providing 2.5 MCG. Even greater amounts were in oat, Oatly and Ripple, although these amounts are still safe and nowhere near the upper daily limit of 100 MCG, which stands for 4,000 IU. Anyway, so pretty, pretty good stuff. Carbs, they get into carbs, fats, and proteins, although many people don't realize it. Regular milk contains about 12 grams of sugar per, per cup in a, in a form of lactose, which makes up the bulk of, of its carbohydrates. Even lactose-free milk tends to contain that much of sugar that with lactose having been converted into glucose and I kind of read, kind of read that already. Um, the other part was, there's the other part of protein. Mm, however, due to its oats, oatly, oatly provides two grams of fiber. Silky oat, silk, silk organic soy milk also provides two grams of fiber, which the others provide less. Real milk contains no fiber. So, you know, these are some of the plus. So as to protein, good karma, flax milk, and ripple, both made with pea protein, rival regular milk, are providing eight grams per cup. Not far behind the silk soy milk with seven grams. Oatly contains less than half the protein, three grams of regular milk. Hemp milk provides just two grams, while the almond and macadamia milk milks provide only one gram. There is no protein in real cocoa and silk creamy cashew. Good stuff, guys. Again, it's a taste and appearance, top picks. Their top picks here are our, their top picks in the category of milks. 
uh, top picks for nutrition. They have Ripple Unsweetened and Silk Organic Soy Unsweetened. So both of these provide about the same amount of protein that you'll expect from milk with 40% fewer calories and they taste fine, even in coffee, they say. They also provide key vitamins and minerals found in milk. Silk hues closer to what's to what's in milk and ripple tends to be tends to go in a bit beyond for example uh they each provide a good amount of calcium per cup 300 milligrams in silk soy and whopping uh whooping 440 milligrams in ripple and each provides some vitamin d3 mc mcg in silk and 6 mcg in ripple each also provides a bit more than the daily re requirements for vitamin 12, which is twice as much as milk. Unlike Ripple, Silk offers a small amount of fiber, two grams per cup. Pretty cool stuff. Anyway, I'm going to le leave the link to this in my podcast description for you guys to click on. So uh, the other news here to end this off, food talk and nutrition and all that stuff, but this is also part of lifestyle. Uh, techie techie stuff where things are going and 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 if you're an investor in the crypto space you probably want to know this as well so if you haven't heard which is so so interesting and weird to be honest on how this all played out over the last couple of weeks so you've heard me speak in the last few podcasts about ripple xrp blockchain cryptocurrency how bitcoin is becoming like this thing, how cryptocurrency is going to be a part of the future and how a lot of people in the space government institution are all for the movement in the space. And the big players are moving into Bitcoin. So it, we're seeing it. We're hearing possibly Elon Musk may um, be a part of this whole movement with Tesla and stuff like that. And we're hearing how Ripple, the company, is utilizing XRP and so many different corridors, working with MoneyGram. And people here in the U.S. are using MoneyGram and are able to, I guess, use some of Ripple's services, possibly using XRP for cross-border, um, not, not transferring of funds from here to Mexico and it's like fast within seconds and people are, are, are spending less money while they're doing this. But this has happened across the world. It happened in India, it's happened in Singapore, it's happened in so, so many different places. And everywhere in the world has gotten clarity with XRP and what XRP is, what Ripple, the company, is using to facilitate payments from one corridor to another, from one country to another, stuff like that. Moving, moving money across the world creating the internet of value and all that stuff. You can look up Ripple, the company, ripple.com. You can check them out. You can do a little bit of your own research. So every, even central banks are considering, all, all across the country are, are considering uh, XRP as a virtual, some sort of virtual currency, a currency, right? And here in the US, they are, a lawsuit just went out to, to the company Ripple which utilizes uh, XRP as their part of their the software. Um, I'm drawing a blank on the, the actual name of the software they use that utilizes XRP. It's uh, uh, what is it called? Um, anyway, it, it, that you, their software utilizes XRP and they're selling their software to companies so they can facilitate XRP so that so that 
the consumers can actually move money across the world within seconds and not have to pay huge amount of fees and wait so many different so many days to actually get their get money to actual loved ones across the country which is actually probably not even probably really important during during this pandemic so the sec the sec uh, had filed a lawsuit a couple of days before christmas to ripple the company stating that they conducted an ico and their ico is xrp so which is so strange so like if you're an investor in xrp you are not an investor in ripple the company ripple the company is its own entity and xrp is its own entity kind of like bitcoin you know the don't xrp was gifted to ripple the company many many years ago back in like i don't know 2012 2013 or something like that and there's documents out there that the sec had declared you know even back then um um XRP as a virtual currency. So it was really interesting to hear, to see that Jay Clayton, one of uh, Trump's administrators in the SEC, declaring um, Ripple conducting an uh, ICO and XRP as, as a security, which is super strange when the entire world and central banks are saying XRP is a virtual currency. So this was a really interesting chess move, I personally think, and many others think as well. It's strange because a week before this actually happened, all exchanges were down to have everyone, de uh, everyone claim their flare token. So if you had a 10,000 XRP, you're gonna get 10,000 flare tokens. So you had to move your, move your xrp to exchanges such as like coinbase or, or i think binance was a part of it maybe or bitstamp whatever there's a bunch of exchanges out there that actually um were a part of this this uh airdrop so when, once the airdrop happened uh on december 12th you you receive you, you don't receive you didn't receive your uh flare tokens right away but you got a flash shot of how many uh spark tokens that you you're actually going to be receiving i know this probably is confusing to many but my whole point is it's like that happened the second week of the second week of december um third week of december i think it or fourth the week of christmas <laughs> whenever that was can't even think of my day, days right now uh was when jay clayton comes out and was like yeah we're, we're gonna sue you for uh, conducting ico xrp security and now Jay Clayton, about a year ago, and all this stuff is out there, you can actually look this up, was Jay Clayton is like all for crypto, talking to one of the Senates about a year ago and, and talking about how we are supposed to really uh, embrace this technology and how it's gonna really help the United States and help America move forward in this digital world of blockchain, cryptocurrency and all that stuff. And I get the whole KYC, which I think is important. And, you know, banks, you you know, your banks use it, the protection and all that stuff. So I just feel like there's there's something bigger that's being played out right now that that the that we are not able to see, obviously, um, politics and all that stuff. You know, I'm, this is not a political channel, so I'm not going to get into that. But there are money gets tied up into the political world. So crypto, if you're investing in crypto, your money is being tied up into the political world. Same thing with stocks. So sometimes you have to kind of dive deep in that world and kind of figure things out as well. Anyway, so here is an article on FT.com. Uh, it's stated Ripple, the SEC filing, filing highlights. And I, 
I'm not a member here, so which is probably why I can't see it. But underneath it, it said how a crypto company became its own central bank. Really interesting. Really interesting. I, before I get into the whole Coinbase article that I just saw like a, not too long ago, I also wanted to point out too, on Coindesk.com, they mentioned XRP is a crypto asset in Japan. XRP is a crypto asset in Japan, not a security. Ripple partner SBI claims. So SBI is a big uh, investor in Ripple, the company, and they are already utilizing XRP in the country. And I think they're also using it in a way where uh, it's maybe like a dividend, I want to say, you know, for some of their employees. So pretty interesting stuff. You can look them up and check them out. So I, I just found this news just recently how there, there are many exchanges now, not not necessarily delisting, but it seems like they're they're halting um, trading with XRP. And and you probably I'm not sure if you can purchase any um, at some of the dates that they're, they're stating when this is going to take place. But Coinbase is a big exchange says it will suspend XRP trading next month. So Coinbase announced Monday today. Oh, well, I'm doing the recording today, actually, on Monday. Anyway, uh, Monday that it will suspend trading in XRP globally next month, nearly a week after the U.S. Secretary and Exchange Commission hit Ripple with a lawsuit. The firm announced the move in a blog post shared with the block. Coinbase said that XRP trading it will transition to limit only beginning immediate on December 28th and will suspend fully on January 19 at 10 a.m. Pacific. The suspension will not affect the firm's client ability to access wallets with XRP. Further, consumers will remain eligible for the previously announced Spark airdrop, like I was talking about, su subject to approval in certain jurisdictions and will continue to support XRP on Coinbase custody and Coinbase wallet. So if you have the wallet, Coinbase wallet, you're fine. Uh, you can keep your Coinbase, uh, your XRP there. And if you're working with the Coinbase custody, they can custody your um, XRP, it seems like. The blog post reads, uh, in a complaint filed last week, the SEC alert that Ripple co-founder Brad Garlinghouse and Chris Larson have raised more than 1.3 billion via an ongoing unregistered securities sale of XRP. The regulator views XRP as a security. Ripple engaged in an illegal security offering from 2013 to present. And even though Ripple received legal advice as early as 2012, that under certain circumstances, XRP could be considered an investment co contract and therefore security under the federal security laws, the SEC said in a complaint. I don't know. So I'm going to leave this in the podcast description uh, if you guys want to read further and kind of just do your own sort of like research as well. But it's it, Ripple, you know, I, I, I am confident and the reason why I'm confident with Ripple, the company, to, to fight this and win is because their team are full of government agents, people from the SEC, you know, big ball, uh, big players. I was gonna say big ball players, um, big players in the government and SEC that know and that knows the law and knows exactly what they're doing and have been fighting for clarity since 2013 to now. So it's really strange that Jay Clayton on his way out 
of the Trump administration at the last minute wants to sue Ripple, the company, and declare XRP as a security. Really strange to me. I don't know. Really strange, but a lot of strange stuff happens in politics, right? Anyway, I'm not going to get further into that, guys. You could definitely read um, read more. And I mean, you could Google XRP News and see, see it for yourself. There's tons of YouTubers out there just talking about it. You know, um, you can check out Working Money is one of them. He, he loves Bitcoin. He's also an XRP holder. Um, but I love his channel. He's very transparent. You know, it's not, not I don't like hype channels. If you look at Working Money, he also have another comp, uh, another YouTube channel, which is cool, called Money Rules. That's also cool. I'll link I'll links links some of it in the podcast description. But if I forget, just remember the working money. Wait, the working is it working money? Wait, hold on. Let me just double check for you. The working, I think it's called the working money. I don't want to give you the wrong channel. No, I'm I'm actually mix, mixing him up with another another channel. The working money, working money channel is actually an, actually a great channel as well. I like his approach. He's pretty fast at the point. Um, the digital, the modern investor is the other channel I will check out. Definitely check out as well. And I love, um, I think it's Crypto Airy. She's from, she's from Japan or she's out in Japan. I forget. She's definitely in Japan. So she, she's, she's also, she also presents a really, I'm sorry. I'm trying to look at the. Yeah, Crypto Erie. So Crypto's C-R-Y-P-T-O and Erie, uh, E-R-I. Check her out. She has great stuff as well. And I love her approach to to the industry as well. And she really finds, she does the research. She pulls up a lot of great, great articles. Definitely check those three out. Um, you can also check out Digital Perspectives. That's also another one you can also check out. Um, yeah, I think that's good enough, guys. And I'm going to wrap it up here. Hope you guys are doing well. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. This will be my last podcast for this year. Wow, that's crazy. And we'll start back up in January. I will see you in 2021. You'll hear my voice. That's right. And wishing you all a blessed 2021. Prosperity, love, healthiness, and all that good stuff, guys. We had a crazy 2020. And hopefully that can be behind us. Hopefully we learned a lot from it. Hopefully we was able to accomplish something good for our life. All right, wrap it up. I'm Chef T. Thanks again for joining me right here at, on SEWCT. Catch you guys on the next one. Peace.